following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, last week we started a new series, uh, and we started a new year of uh, the pattern that we're going to be following for sermon texts and for our shared spiritual formation uh, together, which is that we will be using the scripture passages from the Revised Common Lectionary almost every week for the next year. This is something that, um, as you know, if you've been part of Artisan for a while, we tend to do uh, at important times on the church calendar. We do it during the season of Advent leading up to Christmas and during the season of Lent leading up to Easter. But we've never spent a whole year using the lectionary, and we're going to do that this year. And I'm really excited for that. Um, It's a weird thing to be excited, but I'm kind of a weird person with a weird job, so um, bear with me. I really am excited about it, and let me tell you why. Because it's, it's a way for us all to have some clarity about what we're doing together. And the nice thing about the lectionary is that it's available to everybody. If you Google the word lectionary, you will find the lectionary online very easily. And you can look at the texts that are coming up every week. As soon as uh, we hit Monday, the, the page cycles it over, and if you go to that page on Monday, you'll see the texts that are coming up for the, for the coming Sunday. And I would encourage you strongly to spend some time reading these texts on your own. If you're already a person who has a pattern of uh, reading the Bible devotionally, uh, maybe you could adjust what you do and include this or add this or replace what you do with this. Uh, that might be good. If you're, if you're a person who doesn't do that, maybe the reason is because you don't know where to begin. And as I've said so often, I do not recommend starting on page one and trying to get to page 1200 or whatever it might be if you're new to the Bible. That would be a very hard road. <laughs> um, but using the lectionary gives you a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and it's, uh, it's nice for people like me who are kind of like, ooh, something shiny, uh, and get distracted easily uh, because it's, it's smaller pieces. So first thing is I encourage you to read these lectionary texts on your own. The second thing is I really want us to be reading, having them read aloud in worship as part of our liturgy. And what that means is that unless you want to hear a lot more of my voice, which, let's be honest, nobody wants that, me least of all, what we need uh, is some people who are willing to read these texts aloud. You don't have to have a radio voice. You just have to be willing to read something in front of somebody, in front of a group of people, which I realize for some people is like, no way. (laughs) But you can help with the coffee or do something else. Uh, But we are looking for, let's call them liturgists, people who will contribute to our liturgy by reading the scripture passages. And I would love to hear from you if that's something that you're willing to do. Um, You can uh, just talk to me in person, and then I will tell you how to uh, share it with me in a way that I will actually remember. <laughs> because people sharing stuff with me on Sundays is not something that usually uh, causes me to remember it later, but uh, I'll tell you how to email me, I guess, is what I'm trying to say to you right now. So if that's something you're interested to do, please let me know. That would be really wonderful. Um, so I'm curious, how many people who were here last week knew that we're on the lectionary this week, read at least one of the lectionary passages this past week? Look at that. There's some hands in the air. I love that. I love it. <clears throat> really good. Well, So if you were here last week, particularly y'all who were at the 9 a.m. service when I still had some energy left, um, you remember that we kicked this whole thing off with with kind of a a fiery sermon, I would say, by my standards at least. Um, This is a a sermon uh, about shutting off the voices around us in the world that cause us to, to conform to the patterns of that world. Um, which right now, those patterns, the ones that are most deeply ingrained, that are most risky to us, I think, have to do with uh, deep 
uh, division and resentment primarily around politics, but really around a lot of things. Um, so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go and listen to it, if for no other reason than the novelty of getting to hear me uh, rant and rave and shout a little bit, <laughs> because it's not my usual um, pattern. Someone accused me, I, I, that's probably not fair, someone observed that I tend to be more animated in my preaching the week after Pastor Simmons is here for Baber, and I, <clears throat> I cannot deny that that might be true, uh, but I don't think that was the whole story <laughs> last week. So that's what we did last week. Um, it's by no, it was by no means a perfect sermon, but it's one that I would preach again, uh, given the chance. It, was, it came from a passion that I believe was the weight of the Spirit of God's voice in my life um, as your pastor, sharing something that I think you needed to hear. So if you didn't listen to it, please, please go listen to it on our podcast. And uh, I guess the last thing I'll say about that is it's a little clue into what's happening in my own heart when I get a little uh, worked up. Those types of sermons more than any other are often like me shouting at myself, me grabbing myself by the lapel uh, and shaking myself, if you know what I mean. Um, And so I want you to know that I'm going to be making some changes in my own life uh, in those areas as well, and I'm not just demanding that of you. Uh, Specifically, you you are, and this is me seeking some accountability, you're not going to see me on Facebook after the next few days when I try to clean some things up. I am leaving that behind for, the, uh, for an indefinite amount of time, which might be forever, but I'm not sure. Um, and uh, so if you're, if you're a person, honestly, this is actually important for pastoral connections because some people just communicate by Facebook Messenger first and foremost, and uh, if that's how you've gotten in touch with me, it won't work anymore. So you're going to have to email me, um, scott at artisanchurch.com. So. Today's sermon... Uh, is going to continue on from the text in Romans that we used last week. And if last week was a chance for us to think about how to shut off the influences outside the church that cause us to take our eyes off the prize of Jesus, this week should give us a chance to think more deeply about how to coexist with people we may not agree with, even if they're inside the church. Uh, So, it's, it's a way for us to think about how to improve the character and quality of our relationships with other people when we share the most important thing in common, which is the truth of the gospel. Uh, on those occasions when we don't share some of the less important things in common, when we maybe have different opinions about um, sports teams or <laughs> political figures or um, that kind of thing. Now, it's not the only meaning that I think is intended in this passage of Scripture. I think uh, certainly the, the author, or the Apostle Paul, uh, intends for this to be more broadly applied than what I'm talking about today. He does say both the saints and strangers. You'll see that as we read the text in a minute. But where I'd like us to focus today is more kind of like locally, right? Um, that's, and that's, again, in light of where I think the Spirit of God is leading us as a community, us as artisan church. So let's read this text. It's from Romans 12. We're going to start in verse 9. Uh, If you want to look at it in the Red Bibles, you want to go to page 922, just the last verse on 922, and then on to 923. And uh, as I read this one, I'd like you to follow along and maybe think about the people in your life who are the most challenging to love. Can you think of someone in your life who's the most challenging to love? 
hopefully you'll find some practical help in this passage of Scripture. So let's read Romans 12, 9 through the end of the chapter, which would be verse 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Overcome evil with good. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Overcome evil with good. It reminds me of that famous saying by Dr. King, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Overcome evil with good. It's the, it's the kind of thing that looks good in an attractive font, set over a tranquil photo, and posted self-righteously to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind of thing that we all aspire to make a reality in our lives, but which is also the kind of thing that's much easier said than done. It's the kind of thing that we might post online on a particular Monday in January, but that we might forget by Tuesday. Has this ever happened to you? By the way, it's also the kind of thing that Dr. King said in 1957, which white people love to quote, um, much more than the things that he said in the late 60s. But I will not go any further down that road just now. We want to overcome evil with good. So let's talk about some practical steps. Uh, This passage is really fascinating to me because it's, it's... this ping-pong kind of thing, back and forth throughout this passage between uh, kind of like high, lofty spiritual things and really kind of nuts and bolts practical steps you can take. I want to pull out some of the latter category because I think it's easier to to take those practical steps than to address some of the big-picture spiritual things. And, by the way, I actually believe that addressing the big-picture spiritual things happens by um, addressing the practical things first, as often as the other way around. 
So, so often we think, oh, if only my spiritual life were in order, my behavior would improve. Hmm. That is true. But consider the possibility that if you improved your behavior, your spiritual life would get in order. So, practical steps for overcoming evil with good. Here's the first thing. Find points of connection in the highs and lows of life. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. See, no one argues about politics at a funeral or a graduation or when a child is in the hospital. No, No decent person does that anyway. So find those points of connection in the highs and lows of life with people who you find are difficult to love because it's probably easier to love them at those times. And what this is really about is empathy, isn't it? Putting yourself in someone else's position, walking a mile in someone else's shoes, listening, listening so well that their joy becomes your joy, and their pain becomes your pain. When you practice empathy, when you rejoice with them when they're rejoicing, when you weep with them when they're weeping, suddenly it becomes a lot harder to feel like it's your job to fix them, whatever might be wrong with them or with their opinions or with the way they act about it. Simply empathize and join them in their joy and in their suffering. This is why my heart is so grieved by the world around me right now. Not just the, the broader world, but uh, I'm so sorry to say, like the, our little niche of it, the, the, the church, right? Not just artisan church, but what I see in the church world around me is such an astonishing lack of empathy You know, uh, I don't even want to bring up the the particular thing that happened in the church world this week. Um, I don't want to go into that, except to say that the that it was it was uh, like the most textbook example of an utter absence of empathy that I have seen in quite some time. And predictably, it just drove us further apart. (laughs) Just made us angrier at each other. This is, this is, um, I grieve it. (laughs) I see the same thing happening in politics. Just a complete lack of any effort whatsoever to understand the, 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 the life or feelings of another person. What might have brought them to the, the place they are in life or the views that they have. So, find points of connection in the highs and lows of life. You can do that with anybody, even somebody who's totally wrong <laughs> in their opinions. The second one is like the first. Care for people's actual needs. That's all people's, not just your friend's people's. Um, Paul says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. 
That's a very Jesus-y thing to say, but he's actually quoting from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 25. Now there's actually, if you go on there, both in Proverbs and in the quotation in Romans, there's this kind of weird endorsement of impure motivation. Did you catch that? So if you do this, you'll heap burning coals on their head. (laughs) Which is so funny to me, um, because apparently uh, helping somebody, even for the purpose of driving them nuts (laughs) and making them angry, uh, is still still, um, uh, commendable in some way. So uh, (laughs) It's there. I didn't want to pretend it wasn't there. But I still, I would rather focus on the, the more kind of um, <laughs> kinder, gentler reasons for, for this kind of behavior, which, again, is, is building empathy, softening your heart, uncovering our common humanity. What's neat about people is that we all need to eat and we all need to drink. And if someone's hungry and we give them food, that creates and establishes a connection with uh, that person that would otherwise not exist, that otherwise might be um, impossible because we're so divided on other matters. But we all got to eat and we all got to drink and some people have more and other people have less. And if we can meet someone's actual needs, we will be closer uh, to them in spirit. The point is that in... uh, caring for people who are our enemies, or even, let's just say, people who are hard to love, we begin to transform hostility into love. So that's the second thing. Care for people's actual needs. You start caring for the needs of people you don't like, and I bet you will start to like them a little bit more. What's that thing that C.S. Lewis said? I'm going to get it sort of wrong. He says, don't worry so much about um, whether you actually feel like loving your neighbor. Go and love your neighbor, and then you'll find out presently that, that you love them. Here's number three. We're going we're gonna to start to separate a little bit from the practicality. We're going to get into the wispy spiritual stuff, but it's important. Number three is attend to your own spiritual formation. Verses 11 and 12 say, do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. We talk about the movements of spiritual formation being scripture, prayer, and service. We're reading a scripture that tells us to pray and to serve. It's a beautiful thing. This touches, touches on what I was saying last week, which is that wherever we may be in, in the, on the lines that divide us, if we are all looking at Jesus, at the very least we'll all be uh, moving in the same direction. We'll all be walking together even in spite of our disagreements. But more to the point today, it's if we're all growing in the love and knowledge of Christ, uh, the divisions between us will naturally begin to heal. Our relationships will begin to be mended. I really believe that that's true. The problem is it's not an overnight fix. It's not something you just say, well, uh, I read the Sermon on the Mount once this week. Everything should be hunky-dory now. No, uh, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that's, that, that means it's going to take a while. But if we're all undergoing that same transformation, it ought to be true that even people who at the end of the day, let's be honest, we may not become buddies with, we will begin to see them through the eyes of Jesus. We'll begin to understand that we are all uh, living our lives toward the same purpose. And so our relationships will be healed and mended. 
So attend to your own spiritual formation. And the more division you're seeing between you and other people, the more you might need to think about this. Quick plug, you could come to our studio large, ga- large group spiritual formation gathering next Sunday at 5 p.m. Um, we'll have a little potluck. So you get to eat with other people. We already covered that. Uh, and we'll get to do some spiritual formation together. We'll be study scripture and prayer and talk about service. Um, it's a beautiful time. Come next week, Sunday, 5 p.m. I hope that you'll be there. And here's the, the last practical step um, that I want to give to you today. This is a really hard one. I say that it's practical because it is something that you have to implement, but it's not something that's easy, does not come naturally to any of us, and it's not as simple as just turning on a, a light switch. But this is part and parcel with the gospel. You have to dispose of any possibility of revenge. Verse 19 is fairly clear. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. He doesn't say, unless someone's being really mean to you. He doesn't say, until your house is broken into. He doesn't say any of that. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Now here again, we have this kind of like, thing that comes after it, which, which leaves open the possibility for that natural human inclination to want to be avenged. He says, basically, leave it to God. And God's justice is coming for those who have harmed you. Let God handle it. Your job is never avenge yourselves. You know, um, The phrase, the scriptures are so clear about this, gets thrown around a lot in the church. And about nine out of ten times I hear somebody say that, I think, "Mm, not really, not actually, not about that. But on this one, the scriptures are fairly clear. Revenge is off the table for followers of Jesus. Dispose of the possibility. kind of like when you, uh, you, ha- you have to, you have to like, make a clean break with this. You, the moment you let an exception happen is the moment that the whole thing will, will crack. We had this, um, this pipe in our, our old house, uh, which was built in the um, uh, late 1800s. And this pipe was, a, was an old um, sewer drain stack. It went from the basement all the way up into the attic. And sometime, decades before we bought the house, um, somebody had wanted to do, put a laundry tump, a sink in one of, the, one of the bedrooms. Well, it became a bedroom for us. I don't know what it was at the time. Apparently a laundry room. And so they had found this stack and they drilled a little hole in it uh, so that they could drain the, the laundry wastewater into this sewer drain stack and let it go. Years and years and years and years and years passed until it came about time for us to need to sell the house. And that's when (laughs) the crack that had formed starting decades before uh, and which had made its way all the way up finally broke the pipe open. And there's a phrase which is probably not suitable for sermons. The second word in it is storm. And the first word of it (laughs) is what was in the pipe. (laughs) And that's what happened in our house. You know, 
the moment you, you put a little crack in the, in the strength of what you're trying to do is maybe not the moment you'll see the effects of it, but it's coming. To dispose of the possibility of revenge. It's like, it's like saying, uh, I ha- eat too much candy, so I'm only going to eat a little bit of candy. I don't know about you, that does not work for me. <laughs> you're like, well, uh, Halloween candies. when the Halloween candy's gone, I'm done. And then, like, it's Christmas. <laughs> when all the Christmas candy's done, I'm done. And then it's Valentine's Day. Well, then the Valentine's, and then it's Easter. <laughs> you get a lot of candy at Easter. It might last you until Halloween. So I eventually had to say, I do not eat candy. Which was not true, because <laughs> I ate a lot of candy. Um, but I did that, and uh, now I don't eat candy. If you offer me candy, I'll just say no thank you. Please don't offer me candy. It's hard to say no thank you. <laughs> um, but do you see how you can't go halfway? I don't seek revenge except for... doesn't work. So that's the shot. No revenge. The chaser is that this is the way of the cross. This is hard for a reason. It's because following the way of Jesus is hard. Following in Jesus' footsteps all the way to their natural conclusion means that we end up where? At the cross. Which means that we what? We die. And here's what you will find. The people who try to stop you in following the way of Jesus to its full radical conclusions are not your enemies. Whom Jesus told you and me to love. It's actually your friends Your friends who will say, surely you don't need to go that far with this. Your friends who will say, aren't you taking that a little too seriously? Your friends will try to stop you just like they tried to stop Jesus. And how did Jesus respond when one of his friends tried to stop him on the road to the cross? Well, today's gospel reading from the lectionary is Matthew 16. You can jump right to it if you want or I'll just read it to you. It's fairly brief. Matthew 16:21 From that time on Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying God forbid it Lord this must never happen to you But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? Get behind me, Satan. That is what uh, Jesus said to Peter. That's a statement that's, um, I would say that's clear to very clear, (laughs) somewhere in that range. Peter wanted to stop Jesus from doing the radical thing. 
Jesus' response was to say, you are doing the work of the devil right now. Get out of my way. And to all the rest of you, he said, you have to follow me by taking up your own cross. Now, in that day and age, what happened to very many of Jesus' early followers was that they literally were killed for it. Some of them on an actual cross. The Roman Empire did not want Christianity to spread uh, and but because it displa- <laughs> because it displaced their um, their idolatrous nationalism, um, and so they started to kill Christians on crosses, in arenas, anywhere they could, with fire. Um, for us, I suspect it's unlikely that anyone in the room will have to f- take your cross all the way to the point of your actual physical death. Um, in some ways, that would be clearer, wouldn't it? It would be easier to say yes or no to that. So what you have to do instead is to think about what, what's, the, what's the analogous thing in your life? What's the thing that seems like it would be the end of a part of your life that's really important to you, that you might have to surrender? And... Whatever it might be, there will be Peters in your way. (laughs) There will be people who say, God forbid, you must never do that. And you know what the response is. There will be people who object and say, even if you did that, what good would it, uh, what good would it do? You're just, you're just one person. Maybe you're thinking that yourself. What difference would it make if little old me made this change in my life? It's not going to change the world. Maybe it's not worth the work. And to you, I would say this. Paul's words are very instructive on this point. He says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I don't know what other people are going to do. I don't know what the response is going to be. I know what the command of Christ is. And I know that we are told to mind our own house and to mind our own business and to do what's right in our own lives, come what may. And the hope of the gospel, and this is borne out in the early history of the church is that this kind of love, not just of self or of neighbors, but of enemies, was enough to change the entire world, to spread our faith like wildfire in its early days. And I believe that that can happen again. It starts with you and it starts with me. So far as it depends on you, make peace with each other. Let's pray. God of peace, we hear these hard words from Scripture, from our Lord, and we wonder if we have the strength to live them out. Grant us that strength, we pray. We wonder if, given the strength to live them out, it will actually make a difference in the world. 
give us the privilege of seeing the miraculous spreading of the gospel in our time and in our world, we pray. Give us strength to carry on all the way to whatever cross may be at the end of our path. And help us to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that it places us in solidarity and identity with Jesus the Christ, in whose name we pray and in whose way we walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our table uh, of communion is open, as it is each week, in response to the word of God being read and proclaimed, uh, taking root in your heart by the power of the Spirit. I invite you to come and respond to God's work in the world and in your life. Uh, You can take a piece of the bread, remembering Christ's broken body, and dip it in one of the cups, remembering Christ's blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take it into your own body. May it be spiritual food for your hungry souls. May it be an act of solidarity with those in the room and around the world, whether or not you agree with them on every little thing. Our table's open. A member of the prayer team is at the back. Come and receive God's grace. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.